Hey, everyone. ESG Energize is sponsored by our friends at mCloud. Their solutions help companies maximize production, automate operations, and optimize predictive maintenance. And on the heels of the Inflation Reduction Act, their emissions management solution is so incredibly relevant. So I would encourage you all to go check them out, mcloud.corp, to learn more. Welcome to ESG Energized, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here are your hosts, Delfina Govia. My name is Delfina Govia, and many of you know me as a partner at Veritas Total Solutions, an innovative management consulting firm where I lead the ESG practice alongside my ETRM colleagues. Though we are based in Houston, Texas, Oil & Gas Global Network has listeners in every single country in the world. So for the benefit of our global listeners, allow me to introduce you to the Greater Houston Partnership. GHP is an economic development organization dedicated to championing the growth and success of the 12-county Houston region. And today, we get to showcase their dedication to supporting and promoting our city as the energy transition capital of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are very privileged to have Jane Stricker, the Senior Vice President of Energy Transition for the Greater Houston Partnership and the Executive Director of HETI. Jane, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Would you start us off with what is HETI? Explain that to me. Absolutely. When I joined, I, I didn't love that acronym, but I, I've come to love it. Everybody knows who Hetty is now. But um, the, the Houston Energy Transition Initiative uh, is what Hetty is, and, uh, and that's I joined the Greater Houston Partnership in January of this year to lead that effort. So what is the mission of Hetty? Yeah, the mission of Hetty is really about accelerating solutions for an energy abundant and low carbon future. And recognizing that Houston is the energy capital of the world, our mission is really about maintaining Houston's leadership through the energy transition to that energy abundant and low carbon future. Uh, You just said something very interesting, the energy capital of the world. What would you say to somebody that would argue with you that it is the oil and gas capital of the world? I would tell them they need to come to Houston more recently. The reality is we are home to so much of the energy industry. It's not just oil and gas. I think there's this perception out there that that Houston is still sort of this this old oil and gas town and such a diversity and such a diversity from an energy standpoint. I think we have over 100 wind companies that have a footprint here in Houston and over 30 different solar companies that have a footprint here and more and more with our developing energy innovation ecosystem that's that's really coming together here, we're seeing more and more new energy solutions, whether it's geothermal or waste to energy, but a broad, broad base of energy producers and distributors here in, in the Houston region. So that's going to bring together a lot of different types of organizations uh, to collaborate around this space. Am I getting that correct? Absolutely. And we so, have yeah. over 20 members um, ah. that founded HETI, um, members of the partnership, uh, that came together and said, look, we, we really need to be thinking about how do we maintain our leadership 
in energy for the long term? And how do we make sure that Houston remains a vibrant, economically strong city that creates great jobs and great opportunities? This city has been, you know, the, the growth engine. Um, energy has been the growth engine behind the city of Houston for the last hundred years. And we need to make sure that for the next hundred years, we continue to be the growth engine for this region in the country. And so this group of companies spanning the entirety of the, the energy value chain. So, you know, the big energy, uh, integrated energy companies that you would expect, the BPs, the Exxons, the Chevrons, but also we've got Sonova, we've got Centerpoint, we've got NRG, we've got the petrochemicals industry with Lionel Bissell and Dow. We've got this sort of broad-based group of energy companies that have come together to say, how do we support and make sure that through the transition we're creating great opportunities for Houston to maintain its leadership? So could we get a little crisp on what the goals of the Hetty organization is? Because it's not, it's, it sounds to me that there's a, a desire also to accelerate that energy transition. Absolutely. And we have sort of three key goals within Hetty that we focus on. First and foremost, it's jumpstarting those technology areas where Houston has a clear competitive advantage. So technologies like CCUS, like clean hydrogen, like industrial decarbonization, potentially in the areas of battery manufacturing and energy storage, all areas where Houston should have a leadership role, given our petrochemicals base, given our uh, refining and, and operational base, given the, the base of hydrogen production that already happens here, and given the size of our port, we have the largest port in the U.S. by cargo volume, all of those things combined, all of this asset and infrastructure that exists here in Houston really places us well to be able to lead in those key areas. The second focus area, of, uh, the second goal of Hetty is really about continuing to bring new energy to Houston. So if you think about renewable natural gas, if you think about biofuels, if you think about uh, wind and solar, we want to be a region that those companies think of when they think of where they want to place their business, and we want them to come to Houston. And so really continuing to bring more new energy here to Houston. And then third, we want to continue to support all energy value chains. And so we work on a number of cross-cutting initiatives, whether it's policy issues or communications issues uh, or climate equity issues. We want to work all of those issues that will enable Houston to be successful in all energy value chains. Our role at the partnership isn't to pick the winners and losers, it's to create an environment that will enable all new energy to be successful and to be able to be integrated into our energy system for a, an energy abundant and, and low carbon future. So other than our, our deep history in the energy space, uh, previously very well recognized as fossil fuels, why else would a company, what is, it, what is unique about Houston that is going to make an innovative organization say, you know what, Houston is the place that I need to be? Yeah, it, there is an intersection here in Houston that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world, I would argue. Um, I think between the geology that we have here the assets that we have here, the infrastructure, um, the, the number of engineers 
<laughs> yep. The know-how. I mean, we have NASA here. We have the medical center here. The intersection of all of these really, really smart people looking at really challenging long-term solutions in one place and then add to that an energy industry that understands the complexity of, of the energy system. I think there, there's this oversimplified perspective that if you just create new, new sources of energy, that somehow they just become part of the system. But integrating new energy solutions into our existing energy system is really complex. And I think being able to come to Houston and, and integrate your energy solution into this existing energy infrastructure is critical. So whether you've built your technology in Boston or California or anywhere else in the world, when it comes time to scale that technology, you want to work with the companies that understand how to scale energy for the masses. And that's here in Houston. <laughs> that is extremely well said, Jane. <laughs> you are preaching to the choir here. It's so glad to have you to recognize that for on, on our behalf here in Houston. And we definitely have that intersection of so many different industries and capabilities and, and assets and infrastructure and know-how that I really believe, just as you have said, it does not exist anywhere else in the world. And a true, true commitment to uh, building our energy capabilities right absolutely and we also have a great business environment um, you know a lot of companies come here because they know that this is a place where they can actually do business successfully um, and so that and then the other piece that I want to make sure I don't forget to highlight is our universities uh, you know ground zero for where that the the capability comes from they work closely with the energy industry players they're looking at what are those new long-term solutions. They're tied in tightly with the new startup ecosystem that's that's really coming to life here in Houston. And so they, our universities play a huge role in our ability to really lead through the energy transition. So with all of the wonder and exceptional qualities that we have here in Houston, what do you think our biggest challenges are gonna be moving forward? Yeah, I think one of our biggest challenges, like I said, is, is just the sheer complexity of it. I, I think people generally in the public um, and, and even our politicians, I think there is an oversimplification of what's needed for the energy transition. And so recognizing that building infrastructure, creating and distributing energy for the world is a challenging and complex system we've been building for over a hundred years. We can't just tear that down and, and start from scratch. We have to find ways to integrate all of these new energy solutions into an existing infrastructure. And, and I think there's this perception that incumbent industry is fighting that or doesn't want that. And the reality is they're the best placed organizations to scale these solutions. And they are, I mean, every one of those big players has a, a ventures arm that's looking at new technologies and new solutions and figuring out what 
the long-term energy solutions are going to be, how they can do things more efficiently, how they can decarbonize their own operations. All of that is part and parcel to, to where they're spending their time these days. And so we have this really great opportunity to bring together break down those silos and bring together all of these different energy players from across all the energy sectors and and really leverage each other's strengths to deliver those solutions for our long-term low-carbon future. Yeah, collaborating and working together is the only way that we're, that we're going to get there. What about regulatory issues? Do you think that we have a sufficient amount of of clarity right now as as to how those might impact our future and how we proceed moving forward? Yeah, it's an area that we continue to, to really need to get clear. I think, you know, the, the Inflation Reduction Act has, has brought a ton of interest to the energy transition and the opportunities that it creates from a financial perspective. I mean, the tax credits are significant. The opportunities for investment there are significant. The amount of, of funding that DOE is putting out there through grants and loan applications for energy transition development is massive. But money only gets you so far. Mm, yeah. it, even, you know, even as an investor, even with those tax credits, even with those new economic benefits, if you don't have certainty that that project can actually be completed and operational for the long term, I mean, these are not 10-year projects. These are 20, 30, 40-year projects. Having that certainty that those regulations will exist and be clear on how pipelines can be built, how they can, how CO2 pipelines should be uh, permitted, how hydrogen pipelines should be permitted. I mean, in we're fortunate in Texas, we already have so much of that in place. And so we've already got more CO2 pipeline, more hydrogen pipeline than any place else in the country. But ultimately, we need those pipelines <laughs> to go elsewhere. Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, and for things like carbon capture and storage, we have to have clarity around being able to permit classic wells for, for long-term CO2 sequestration. So, you know, the, the money is great. The money is critical to making these projects economic. But, but we got to know that in the long term, we've got a structure that will enable those things to, to, to get built and stay built. Well, to your point, we've already got the, the basis of the infrastructure here in place in, in Texas. And if we can at least use the, that basic infrastructure as the proving ground to how you make these things economical, as economical as possible, how you scale and how you create competitive advantages for organizations, right? I would think that, you know, by this point, people would recognize that investments in this space are not about philanthropy. They're not about, oh, we just want to do good in the world, that this is, this could create competitive advantages for organizations, and it's the right thing to do, and when you do the right thing, the, the, the profits come back to you. Absolutely. That's the other reason I think Texas is such a perfect place and Houston is such a perfect place to lead this because things happen here because they're economic. You know, yeah. other places in the world, I mean, eventually governments run out of money. So if you look at other places in the world where governments are making significant investments in net zero strategies and, and, and operations and, and projects, that's great. But sooner or later, governments run out of money. These, yeah. 
these projects have to be economic if we're going to do them for the long term and if we're going to do the types and size of decarbonization projects that we really need to do to achieve our net zero goals. And if we want to be competitive on the global stage with our energy, we have to have ways of producing and, and transporting our energy around the world in a way that meets the carbon standards that are being set by other countries. So other than being a, a champion of Houston, what do you think Hetty's unique role is in this space? Yeah, the partnership, you know, has, we have 900 members. And a, and a wow. significant portion of those are and at, growing and growing, and a significant <laughs> portion of them are are in the energy industry, as you would imagine, um, given the size and scale of the energy industry here in in Houston. Um, and so we try to think about what are those areas where we can add unique value, where there aren't things already happening, there aren't other coalitions, there aren't other initiatives driving things forward. And so we've really focused on a couple of key work streams um, to start our initiative and, and get things moving and really jumpstart those areas that we talked about. So we've got four work streams that we've focused on uh, from the get-go. Uh, clean hydrogen is one of those. And the Center for Houston's Future, which is our sister entity, has been leading the charge on that work and, and earlier this year published a roadmap for how Houston can be the epicenter of clean hydrogen for the Gulf Coast region and, and what that opportunity set looks like and has also been really bringing together a broad coalition of industry players who are really interested in deploying hydrogen of all colors and all types, but clean hydrogen for this region. And so they've got a great piece of work that they've been doing there. On CCUS, which is our second work stream, we're really focused on the upcoming 2023 legislative session for the state of Texas in Austin, recognizing that if we are going to see projects come together and steal in the ground by 2025, which is really the, the the target we need to be aiming for, if we're really going to be on a path to getting to net zero and, and making significant emissions reductions, we have to see steel on the ground soon. And so this upcoming legislative session is critical to CCUS being able to move forward in this state. We run the risk of, of being behind Louisiana and, and having them get ahead of us in CCUS deployment, which would be unfortunate. We should be the leaders in this. Um, yeah. and, and we've got the assets, the infrastructure, we've got the offshore uh, geologic resources for us to store CO2 in. Uh, and so this upcoming session will be really critical to figuring out how to, how to get those projects moving forward. Um, in industrial decarbonization, it's a recognition that not everybody in the industry is, is interested in developing carbon capture technologies or clean hydrogen technologies, but everybody in the industry is interested in figuring out how to decarbonize their own operations. How do we get to a reduced carbon intensity of a barrel of oil out of the Gulf of Mexico mm -hmm. or out in West Texas? How do we tell the story of what industry is already doing around decarbonization. And so bringing together a broad-based group of companies to really talk about what are the big challenges around decarbonizing industry, whether it's the oil and gas industry or other industrials. How can we start to learn from each other and how can we start to move from a place of just measurement to measurement and action and being able to create sort of a unified narrative around how industry is already addressing its own scope one and two emissions. So 
as an example of how Hetty does that, did I not see that back in September there was a roundtable that you hosted for that discussion? Yep, absolutely. We have we hosted our first industry decarbonization roundtable. We had a full house, 75 people showed wow. up. We did it sort of like an energy dialogues format where we had a bit of a panel discussion, um, broad-based group. We had an, uh, an energy startup that has just moved here to Houston. We had uh, petrochemicals industry. We had um, consulting. We had, uh, you know, a broad, a broad group of panelists sort of talking about from each of their perspectives how they're thinking about decarbonization, what the challenges are, what the issues are, and then did a, a, um, some roundtable discussion on what are the big challenges people are thinking about, very much the conversation around ESG and, and how do we start to talk about in a consistent way measurement and management of emissions as well as other ESG metrics. And so how do we finally sort of get to a place where people can understand the different requirements, the, the different measurement technologies, and, and how do we start talking about it and learning from each other? And so from that, we'll start creating more focused roundtables to let us delve into some of the very specific issues that came up. So before we, we move on to the fourth, because you said there were four work streams, let me ask you a question about um, that that ESG component. What I what I'm seeing, and tell me if you agree or not. You're the expert. Is that ESG is kind of taking the form that HSE had for us 20, 25 years ago in the oil and gas space, where the the ESG conversations are no longer a you know, nice to have, fun thing to have, you know, flavor of the day, but becoming a fabric of our of our industry and the way that we work. Absolutely. You know, I, I started in oil and gas 20-some years ago. And, um, <laughs> you know, for me, coming out of retail, marketing, clothing uh -huh. retail, into oil and gas, the safety culture just completely threw me. It was just <laughs> <laughs> so foreign to anything that I had yeah. done before. But all of a sudden, we're very much focused on reporting recordable yeah. injuries and, and monitoring and, and managing our safety risks. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think we're sort of in that same place right now around carbon management, around ESG, is we're in this space of like, what is it that we're reporting? It's really complex. Whose measurements are right? Aren't, there aren't any standards. You know, how is this country going to do it versus how this country is going to do it? And, and ultimately, in my career at BP, what I found was we went from this very much data-driven approach to safety and HSE to it being part of the culture and, and part of the way we operate. And I think, I think over time we'll see the same thing in the energy industry around ESG and in all industries. We will be thinking about that as a core part of our culture. It's not just a thing that we report on. Yeah, It's inherent in the way we operate our businesses. And so in the same way that safety is you know, culture of care and the way we think about taking care of the people we work with and keeping them safe, we'll be doing the same thing as we think about carbon management, ESG, sustainability, and, and all of those aspects. And the, the care way, of our planet. And the care of our planet, exactly. And each other. Yes. And communities around the world. Brilliant. I love it. 
So sorry for that little side. Let's get back to the fourth work stream. I'm, I'm very interested in hearing what that is. Absolutely. So um, recognizing that the, the chair of HETI is Bobby Tudor, formerly Tudor Pickering and Holt. We also have uh, Eric Mullins from Landmark Resources is one of our vice chairs. There was really strong interest in thinking about how do we make sure that through the energy transition, Houston also maintains its leadership and investment. You know, Houston has always been seen as an energy investment capital. Um, during the shale boom, when all of the interest and investment started happening, every big investment bank PE firm realized that they needed to have a presence in Houston to be tied into the decision makers and really understand where to make investments, how to make investments, and where the opportunities were. I think we're gonna see exactly the same thing in energy transition. And so Bobby and Eric have brought together a group of investment banks, PE firms, and VC firms from here in Houston to look at what is Houston's current level of investment in the energy transition? What does that ambition need to be for Houston to maintain its position as energy capital of the world through the transition? And, and what are some of the key issues hurdles and unlocks that we need to be thinking about to catalyze that capital investment in this region. And so we, we published a report about two weeks ago that lays out sort of that vision of Houston's role in energy transition finance today and what that could look like in the future. So that report you said was published? Is yes. It, where is it available for my listeners to access? So it is available on the Greater Houston Partnership website in okay. the energy transition section. Um, and basically what we've done is we've taken a look at the level of energy transition focused inflows and outflows today, 2021 numbers, okay. and, and looking at, at where energy transition inflows are coming from, okay, and then where energy transition outflows. Decisions on dollars being spent where the decision is being made in Houston, the dollars may be spent somewhere else. Ah, okay. So inflows is money coming into Houston. Gotcha. Outflows is decision-making in Houston with flows going potentially otherwhere. So if you think about companies like BP or Chevron or, or Exxon, their decision-making may be here in, in Houston, but they may be deploying those energy transition investment dollars in other parts of the country or other parts of the world. Well, if we're the center of the energy transition, the global energy transition, that makes all the sense in the world that we're going to Absolutely. want to track that. Okay. And do you have a sense of what kind of, of financial investment commitment is going to be needed for us to be able to achieve this, this low-carbon future that we keep hearing different uh, companies, organizations governments, uh, global organizations talk about? Yeah, so we, we took a look at it in this report from a U.S. perspective. And okay. so we estimate that in order for us to really be on track for a net zero 2050 goal, which is sort of the, the goal that most organizations, most countries have set to be net zero by 2050, we need to be spending roughly $1.5 trillion per year by the time we get to 2040. And we think Houston's piece of that could be at least 10%, so roughly $150 billion per year, Wow, which is 80% of existing oil and gas investment right now. One more time. It is 80% of existing oil and gas investment. Today. 
Wow. Yeah. That is a significant and impressive number. Hmm. So, um, do you think, do you know we're going to get there? Are you, con are you convinced? I'm absolutely convinced. <laughs> Given that every single day my phone is ringing off the hook from companies that are interested in coming to Houston, companies who want to learn more about what's happening in Houston around the energy transition, companies that are in Houston that want to connect in with other companies. I mean, I feel like I spend a bit of time being a matchmaker, but I mean, that's really part of my role is really getting the right people into the right conversations to help things get moving. Um, and so whether I'm here in Houston, or if I was recently in Washington, D.C., and before that I was in the U.K., and everywhere I go, there's companies saying, hey, we, we understand that there's a lot happening in energy transition in Houston. How can we be a part of that? Uh, how can we get our business embedded in there? How do we connect into the ecosystem? And so more and more we're hearing that conversation. And so whether it's connecting startups with Greentown Labs and the ION um, and, and really getting them engaged in this this fast-growing uh, energy transition ecosystem, innovation ecosystem that's coming together here in the region, or getting technology companies connected in with some of the ventures arms of incumbent oil and gas. I think there's, there are a million ways that we can help support the development of this energy transition ecosystem. And, and I always say Hetty's role is really to be the connective tissue among all of those parts. So whether we're working with the universities, startups, incubators, and, and energy transition ecosystem leaders, other coalitions, whether it's the Houston CCS Alliance or the Hydrogen Alliance, we're out there trying to get all the right people into the right conversations so we can see projects get, get moving. The opportunity is immense, but to your point earlier, the complexity of the space is enormous. And in your role as executive director of HETI, that is clearly you're in this role due to the ability to manage projects strategically, but also from an execution perspective. Could you share with my listeners and your, a little bit of your background and how you came to this, because you did mention retail before, you mentioned BP. Uh, I think my listeners would really like to know a little bit more about Jane herself and why we are blessed to have you in this position leading, leading this charge for us. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I, before I joined the partnership, I spent 21 years at BP and uh, probably have the most random career path <laughs> of anyone you've ever met in the energy industry. Okay. I literally started um, in, in the downstream doing strategy and planning for, for retail oh, locations. Gosh. I spent uh, about three years running gas stations and building gas stations, doing all for development. I did car wash strategy for a period of time. <laughs> <laughs> I taught people to make sandwiches. Um, so the first half of my career was in, in downstream retail, um, marketing in, in the true marketing sense of right, the word. Right. Uh, and then uh, I was in Chicago and, and realized that uh, BP was probably never going to be a great marketing organization coming, <laughs> coming from traditional retail. Um, it sort of just never, it never quite clicked. And, uh, and so I thought, well, I better either 
learn to do something different or, uh, or go work somewhere different. And I loved BP so much. So I, I went, I got my master's in finance and I took a role in corporate finance and I moved to Houston and I managed all of our group funding activities for, for U.S. operations. And so I spent a fair bit of time in that role. I was in that role actually when Macondo happened. Oh. Um, and so was involved in the divestment of a lot of our assets um, and working with some really hardworking, committed people to, to get through that crisis and do the right things. Yep. Um, following that, I, I spent a, a bit of time in the company secretary's office supporting our boards of directors and, and helping navigate through all of those negotiations with the federal government. And then I spent about uh, five years managing all of our compliance obligations with the federal government, so with the EPA and the Department of Justice. Um, and when that wrapped up, I think, you know, I had sort of earned a reputation of, of being able to be thrown in the deep end of the pool and, and get things done. Uh, and so BP had then decided to chair a study on carbon capture use and storage on behalf of the National Petroleum Council. And so I was asked to sort of project manage and herd the cats around that, which was 100 organizations and 300 different participants writing a report um, for the government on how we could get CCUS deployment at scale in the US. And that really was sort of the beginning of my passion for the energy transition. And, um, and so my last role at BP, uh, before I retired last year, uh, I managed BP's relationship with the city of Houston to help them implement their climate action plan. And so this combination of working with a broad group of stakeholders, industry players, governments, um, really positioned me perfectly for this opportunity to really, I, I felt like I needed to be in a place where I could have real impact um, and being part of a big company like BP, where they're doing things all over the world, everybody's important, but I, I didn't feel like I, I could have that big, big impact. And so I saw this role at the partnership as an opportunity to do something really impactful for Houston and bringing together all of the different players, all the different stakeholders. Um, we have an advisory board where we bring together the universities and a lot of the public, the ENGOs and NGOs to talk about what we're doing in the energy transition. We're kicking off a bit of work around climate equity to really be able to, to more effectively engage communities on what the energy transition will mean for them uh, in terms of jobs, in terms of pollution reduction, in terms of, you know, just general impact. And so these are all things where I feel like having that geographic focus on this region allows me to, to have more impact and really bring together all the right players to, to do something that is going to change the world for the long term. That's brilliant. We're very, very, very blessed to have you um, supporting our community in, in that regard and supporting our industry, representing our industry, uh, energy uh, across different types of, of energies. So people are going to be intrigued and wanting more information, especially about Hetty and the Greater Houston Partnership. People are going to want to learn more. They're going to want to download some of these reports that you have mentioned. So how can we direct people to that information? Is, is there a website that you would like to direct people to? Yeah, so the Greater Houston Partnership website is houston.org. Oh, Just that, that simple. <laughs> it doesn't get any easier than that. 
And if you go and search for energy transition in the drop down menu, it'll take you to where we've got our the heady strategy laid out, where we've got access to the white papers that we've developed so far, uh, and a and a bit of a summary of the work that we're doing. Um, and you know, it's a great way to stay connected and and learn about what what we're doing. We also have an annual Future of Global Energy conference we do every summer. Um, and so we've done two so far. We're, we're already in the planning process for year three, um, bringing together a, a broad-based group to talk about all things energy and what it means for Houston and what our global energy future looks like. Uh, and so there's, there's always lots of great opportunities to get connected into the work. And if you're not a member of the partnership yet, uh, but you're a business based here in Houston you, and you want to be part of the conversation, then you, you want to engage our membership team and, and the website can, can tell you how to get connected into the partnership as well. Well, Jane, thank you very much. And I'm going to reach back out to you into the Heady organization. And as we progress, as we see things develop, see if you would be gracious enough to join us once again or, or have one of your uh, co-conspirators in this regard join us to continue the conversation. All right. That sounds great. Thank I look forward to it. Same here. Thank you. Thank you. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. <laughs>